Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is day 629 of our three-year journey through the Word of God. We are in Ezra chapter 8, and we're going to have a lot of names this morning, but we will see the faithfulness of God at work through these names. Let's pray and seek the Lord together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, every part of your word. We do pray that you would help us to understand your word and to understand how we should respond to this chapter in your word with faith and with obedience and trusting you and walking more closely with you. This is our desire and you've given it to us. And so we ask that you would fulfill it in us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, Ezra chapter eight. And yes, the reading glasses are going to come out because there are a lot of names and I want to make sure I don't butcher them too terribly badly and that's easier if I can actually see them clearly and not blurrily. All right. <clears throat> Ezra chapter 8. These are the heads of their father's houses and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. Of the sons of Phineas, Gershon. Of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel. Of the sons of David, Hattush. Of the sons of Shechaniah, who was of the sons of Perosh, Zechariah with whom were registered 150 men. Of the sons of Pehath Moab, Eliahonai, the son of Zerahiah, and with him 200 men. Of the sons of Zatu, Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 men. <clears throat> of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 men. Of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 men. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him eighty men. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him two hundred eighteen men. Of the sons of Bani, Shelemith, the son of Josephiah, and with him one hundred sixty men. Of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and with him twenty eight men. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him one hundred ten men. Of the sons of Adonikam and those who came later, their names being Eliphalet, Jewel, and Shemaiah, and with them sixty men. Of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zachar, and with them seventy men. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshullam, leading men, and for Joyarib and Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Iddo, the leading man at the palace Casaphia, telling them what to say to Iddo and his brothers and the temple servants at the palace Casaphia, namely to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Also Hashabiah, and with him Jesheah, of the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen and their sons, 20. Besides 220 of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites, these were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava. 
that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth a thousand derricks, and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first, first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eleazar the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commission to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. That is Ezra chapter 8. And so you may be wondering at this point, wait a minute. At the beginning of Ezra, there was an account of a group of people who came into Judah and Jerusalem, and they erected an altar, and they built the foundation, and then some time went by, there was a pause, and then they came and they finished building the temple, right? And we had a genealogy, we had a, you know, yeah, genealogy and a census of those people. And there were like so 42,000 people. And we had commented on all that back in the beginning of chapters of Ezra. Now we've got another group coming and they're also bringing gold and silver for the temple and offerings. Like, like, what's going on here? Is this like a double thing? And yeah, it is a double thing. Just to make sure that we understand where we are, let's take a look at the basic chronology of Ezra and Nehemiah. So the first six chapters of Ezra, they take place from 537 to 516 BC. 516 uh, or 5, 515 BC even with my glasses on, didn't read it right. 
515 BC is after the temple is already finished. So essentially the first six chapters of Ezra are telling us of the first group of exiles who came back after the decree of Cyrus. And Cyrus made a decree, Cyrus the Great, the first real big uh, ruler of the Persian Empire. He makes a decree that says people should be able to go back to Judah and Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and go for it, right? And so they went and they did. They rebuilt the temple uh, in kind of two stages because there was that political turmoil that interrupted it. But it all gets done and finished by 515, which means there was 70 years of no temple in Jerusalem. 586 is when it was actually destroyed, laid siege to in 587, then torn down completely in 586. And 517 to 516 is when it was rebuilt. 70 years. 70 years of no temple. <clears throat> and that fulfilled the, the prophesied length of the exile. Well, now we jump from 515 up ahead to 458. So we're almost 60 years later, right? It is uh, 57 years later that we come in to the story now. And what would have happened in that time period? Well, what happens over the course of 55 to 60 years? Things decay, things break, um, things need repair, things need rebuilding, things need renewal. And Ezra is the one, Ezra who wrote this book, he's the one who arises at this time. And we could tell very definitely Ezra chapter 6 that we looked at yesterday, or 7, that we looked at yesterday, was definitely written by the hand of Ezra. And uh, we believe that the whole of Ezra and Nehemiah were written by him. And so he's clearly written these chapters. And he's coming up now. And we're going to have this work between Ezra and Nehemiah. That first generation, that was Zerubbabel and Joshua, right? And this is now Ezra and Nehemiah's time. So the first six chapters are taking place in that first return from exile. And this, the rest of these books are taking place now some 55 to 60 years later, and then all the way up to 433 BC. So they cover a time period of some 25 years when Ezra and Nehemiah are leading a reform. Those who've come back and the temple's been rebuilt, but there's still work to be done. The worship needs to be regulated properly, reformed properly, renewed properly, and also the walls of the city are going to need to be rebuilt. So that's what's on tap for us in the rest of Ezra and Nehemiah. What do we get from this chapter? Well, what we get is that <coughs> when there was a need among God's people, God met that need, right? They needed some things. They needed some money to be able to fund uh, the refurbishment of the temple. They needed some money to be able to offer sacrifices that would accompany this refurbishment, this revitalization, this, this reform of the temple. And they were granted what they were needed. And they needed people to go and people went. And then when they stopped and they realized, wait a minute, we don't really have enough Levites here. I mean, there's some back in the land already, but yeah, they're a little bit shaky because obviously there were problems that came up over the 58 years uh, where things weren't as faithful as they should have been. And so he needs some guys who can take with him, who can be trustworthy. And so he, he sends for them and they are supplied. What he needs, God supplies. And so you end up with 
um, Levites and priests and temple servants uh, who are all going to go back. Now, once they have what they need, do they just barge ahead, presuming that they are going to be successful? No, they don't. And this is a very key lesson for us, I think. Sometimes if we can check our bank account and the balance is good and we can look around at the resources and we say we have everything we need, we just say, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Um, and that is rushing in. And even though we have the promise of God, and even though we have the provision of God, we want God's presence, God's protection, God's blessing on his work. And so they stopped and they fasted and prayed. They came together they fasted and they prayed that God would protect them and that God would bless them. And then they went forward. One more thing to see here is that they were careful with the things that were given to make sure they were properly safeguarded and properly accounted for. This is a practical thing, but it's oh so important. So many churches will get themselves into trouble because they don't have proper accounting oversight, proper procedures, proper accountability for how money is being spent and money is being used. And we're just, we're all Christian people and we all trust each other. And isn't it just fine? And there's not going to be a problem, is there? And so things just kind of get out of hand. And that's not good, right? We should have uh, good budgeting, good accounting, good uh checks and balances so that there's multiple people looking at things. Um, and so, you know, good practices like having multiple people count the offering and double check the deposit slip and then having the deacons as a, as a, as a board administer those finances and keep track of things. And then having someone who's doing the bookkeeping that's different from someone who's writing the checks, those kinds of things, right? This is obviously what they're doing here is with gold and silver, but it, it's the same principle. And that is, People are sinful. Temptation is real. So be wise, right? And do things properly. And that preserves the tithes and offerings and it honors God with how the things are being administered that are given to his work. So it's a call for us as a church to trust God to provide, to fast and pray and seek his face, not just rush into the work without prayer, and then to be responsible with the things he's given into our care because it is the Lord's work that we're doing. That's all of this is you are holy to the Lord. The vessels are holy to the Lord. The silver and gold are holy to the Lord. This is for the Lord, the house of the Lord. It is the church of Jesus Christ, right? It is his church. We are his people. And so it all needs to be provided by him, protected by him, prayed over to him, right? And then properly administered uh, in a way that honors him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're teaching us and how you're growing us in, in things that are spiritual and things that are practical. We think about those things as being different things, but they're not different things because everything comes from you and everything belongs to you. So help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful in the word. Help us to be faithful in prayer. Help us to be faithful in the administration of finances. Help us to be faithful because you've called us to be holy. And we want to be your holy people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that is Ezra chapter 8. Tomorrow, back to the Gospel of Luke for one of the most famous chapters in all of Scripture, Luke chapter 2. Not at Christmas time, but right here in September. That's on tap for tomorrow. Have a blessed day in the Lord.